Hello, Rich Bolas here, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Dad Mindset Show. Today, we hear from Dad, Olympian, and founder at Yes You Can Drinks, Tyler Martin. There's also a nice little announcement towards the end of the episode. So, let's get amongst it. I hope you enjoy this chat with Tyler Martin. Tyler Martin, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I love the way that you describe yourself as dad first, Olympian second, and then founder at Yes You Can Drinks. So how do you manage the balance between being a father and then leading a new company? They're both pretty all-encompassing undertakings, Tyler. Yeah, like to be honest, it is you know a daily challenge. Um, and you know I'm not here pretending that I've got it by any means figured out. Um, like very frequently do I feel that I need to be more present as a dad and more present as a founder and, you know, more present as like just a human doing things that I need to do for my own, you know, mental and physical well-being as well. So it is definitely not a science. Um, and it's just like, yeah, it, it is a balancing act and a juggling act. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm on the journey. I'm not nailing it by any means, but I'm giving it a crack. <laughs> You're <laughs> doing a great job, Tyler. What, what would a day look like if you feel like you're nailing it? Um, good question, because I, I don't actually know if I'm, I am at the moment, but a, a perfect day would be waking up. I usually get my um, our almost two-year-old um, Teddy out of bed every morning, so I usually get him out and try and get him up and get him sort of started, give my partner so if, um, uh, a little bit of time to get herself sorted. Um so feed him in a perfect world. Maybe we go for a walk or go to the park, depending on how early we, or depending on how early he wakes, basically. Um, and then spend a little bit of time with him, pass him over to Soph, and, and then I'd head to the office and have a really productive day, um, whatever that looked like. Hopefully, plenty of sales, good meetings, and and compliments um, about the brand would be would be nice. Um, it would be great. I know a perfect day I'd be doing some sort of physical exercise. So whether that would be like I still play water polo, so training um, in the evening or afternoon for my team um, or whether it's just come some kind of other physical uh, workout um, and then coming home, spending a little bit of time with, with Teddy and Sophie again and, and getting him down. So it's a pretty jam-packed day, but I feel like those days where I do tick those boxes, um, I feel like I'm firing on all cylinders. Yeah, and when you do sort of strike that balance, it it sort of invigorates you, doesn't doesn't it? And you're sort of like, yes, that was awesome, and you, yep. you know you're on the right path. But and then the wheels come off the next day, and then <laughs> exactly. just constantly trying to get back to it. Come on, come on back, back to the fold. It's almost like a knife edge. I feel like you're either one side or the other, and then balance, walking the line down the middle is pretty tricky. Yeah, it is because and there's so many variables at play. And to be honest, like we could, you know, I could be. A bit more militant in 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 um, like some routines, but it's also hard, right? Like the business ch- has d- ever changing dynamics. The, my our son has ever changing emotions, needs, commitments, and and obviously our relationship as well. Um, my my partner, our relationship is um, is is ever changing as well. So it, it is an knife edge in, in in many ways. Is it uh, the other way you can look at it as well? Is like there's those elements of the day where it's not actually balanced. Like you go all in on business and you forget 
family for that time when you're at work and then when you yeah. go home you sort of transition away from that i mean sydney's ace because you jump on a ferry and you have to transition and so then you step off the ferry at the other end and you're no longer in work mode you're in family mode and then you know there's the other transition whether that's like the bedtime routine and then it's just you and your partner uh, yeah. having those sort of those sort of checkpoints can really help can't they where you sort of put on a new uniform almost yeah, yeah, it, it does. Um, and then, but I suppose the challenge with any small starting business is there's always more to do. So like I'm, you know, to use a very apt for me uh, uh, metaphor, feel like I'm constantly just trying to stay stay above water. Um, so, you know, that's the challenge as well as when you do actually just switch off and what you like, it's again, I'm some days I nail it, a lot of days I don't. So um, <laughs> it's, it's ever-changing um dynamic yeah i totally i totally know that feeling tyler totally know that feeling <laughs> now i mean talking about water i mean i'd love to dive into like your, your background in water because like you were part of the australian water polo team at the 2015 world aquatics championships and yeah. the 2016 summer olympics so yeah. what inspired you to become an olympian uh, i know it's like a dream of loads of kids but what at least it made you believe that you could become an olympian yeah, so I guess my sporting, I've always been in, like, love sport. It's been a passion of mine um, from as long as I can remember. And I, I originally wanted to be a soccer player because I, I just yeah, loved soccer when I was really quite young. Then it was um, cricket, I, you know, you name it, it was whatever. Even though I didn't even play cricket properly, I just loved Steve Waugh and Shane Warren and all of those guys growing up. Um, and then, but I just played a whole a whole array of sports and I was reasonably handy um, across the range. But um Water, I somehow actually I was playing indoor soccer randomly enough, and some friends of mine from rugby, um, which I was very poor at but but loved it, um, <laughs> played, um, pl- decided to play a bit of water polo in the summer. Um, at about 12 or 13 years years old, and I was like, Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll come down and, and give it a go, and kind of just took to it and thought, Hey, this is something that I'm okay at, and then. I enjoyed it. My friends are playing it. And then, you know, you make one representative team. It rolls into an elite training squad. It rolls. And all of a sudden you're on this this ride and you're like, hey, um, you know, I've just made my first junior Australian team. And I was like, hey, this is, um, I- I'm serious about this. There was about 15, I think I was. And I was like, okay, I want to make the Olympics. And that was my, I always wanted to play at the high level of some sport. And I kind of just, I guess, tested the field a little bit and, and yeah, gravitated towards the one that I, um, both enjoyed the most and was probably the best at. Do you, do you think it was like that first step into that pool? Like when you tried it, you, you had some really good feedback in that first instance or did you have to push through for like, I don't know, a few weeks of going every week before you got that sort of feedback that, holy shit, I'm actually good at this? Yeah, I, I probably picked it up reasonably quickly because I always um, swam okay, like swam reason, like reasonably well um, and enjoyed like, I guess, all kinds of sports, which meant that I had a reasonable hand-eye. So I picked it up okay for like what would normally be a, a, a weird sport to sort of pick up. Um, but along the journey, like I was by no means the most talented like throughout the, my, my career. Um, so there was definitely a lot of hard work from, you know, from where to go. But at the very start, I probably picked it up a bit more easily than some of my, you know, more typically rugby friends, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What was the training sort of regime like once you sort of committed? Like you hit 15, did it just get super intense? Yeah. So unfortunately, like many Olympic sports in Australia, it's generally non-professional. 
Um, so that means that you do study or work or uni or school or whatever it may be, out, um, and then you train on the other. You know, the book ends, your training book ends that. So from about 15, I was probably up at about 4, 4.30 a.m., three to, four, three to five mornings a week, depending on the schedule, and then training um, in the evening from, what, 7.30 to 9.30 most nights. So it, it was pretty It was pretty hectic. Um, <laughs> Good training for parenting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And my poor, my poor mum, when I think about it, like driving me to, you know, at 15 to training in the morning and things like that, it's, um, you don't realise it until you, until now, I'm like, oh my God, I might have to do that at some point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it was pretty full on. Um, and then as we got, I got a bit older and, and made more teams and played overseas and things like that, um, it it obviously gets, it gets more and more as, as well, but just a bit more um, reasonable hours. Yeah, a bit more structured as well, I guess, when you've got more coaches around you and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I often liken parenting to coaching. So who was the best coach you ever interacted with and why? It's a good question. I've thought about this a bit, actually. I don't know if I've ever had one who's nailed it across the board, um, but I've had a couple who I, like, my very first coach, was a my very first proper coach, let's say, um, outside of being someone's dad, you know, who rocked up and said, swim that way faster. Um, <laughs> Go faster. <laughs> exactly. Was a guy from Montenegro who was awesome at getting the best out of his players. Um, he was really good at man managing um, and kept pretty simple tactics. Uh, I've had other coaches who were pretty poor man managers, but amazing tacticians and training coaches. So I guess every, like I've had three of, and then I've had another, another coach who was, um, who's still a great friend to this day, who was a four-time Olympic Russian coach. And he would, a Russian guy who ended up coaching out here, and he would tell stories of like um, communist Russian trainings and how they had to train for eight hours a day every single day because that was like their job. Wow. Um, and they had to get in the pool and be in the pool for eight hours and the um, the uh, the police would come and monitor. And, um, <laughs> yes, yeah, so he, 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 not that we forced that upon us but he was a good really you know hard task master yeah um but um but he was a really good coach as well wow was he sort of like you think this is hard tyler let me tell you <laughs> yeah, yeah he, you know what he wasn't necessarily like that but like because you had to dig in to get the stories but he was um he was yeah he expected he expected a, a good discipline that was but everyone yeah i mean that's it's it's because i've had more coaches than i've had bosses so like I am. I assume in the real work world um, that <laughs> you learn things from different bosses or um, superiors in the same way that I did from coaches. Hey, that's a good way to handle X, and this is a good way to handle Y, and um, hopefully be the sum of the best parts. Yeah. What What sort of has stuck with you then? Any particular standout things? Like if you end up teaching Teddy's team, uh, you know, when yep. when he's older, yep. what what sort of um, things are you going to bring to your coaching game? Well, I think, I think like man management is key. Like it's everyone. We had 13 guys in a team, 20 guys in a squad at the, 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 you know, training for an Olympics and, um, you know, getting the best out of everyone is something that a coach needs to do. And I guess similar to a manager in a, in a corporate landscape. And so that would be something is tra- like treating everyone as their own individual human, um, and then I think as well, another thing that stuck with me, it's, um, and it was the, my Russian coach and he didn't, um, it was a saying that he had, but it translates essentially to it's always darkest before the dawn. Every time you think you're going to give up, um, 
you know, the the light is just just you know beyond the horizon. So um, keep going. So that was a, a good little resilience piece. That um, it was a lot. It was a lot uh, slicker in his rush, like the the, the Russian. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, essentially, it's 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 like it was that. It was about just you know you've got a lot more in you than you th- your brain tells you you do in that specific moment in time, um, which is scientifically proven as well. So I think that sort of lends itself across, you know, every aspect. Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, it's kind of like David Goggins, isn't it? He talks about having like 40% in the tank well past you, where you think you can actually go to. Yes, exactly. And, yeah, it has been studies on it and it's, um, it's true. And I think like I, even I'm noticing that in my non-sporting life at the moment, it's like, you know, starting a business and, you know, I'm not the first and I won't be the last to, to go through it. And there's great days and there's shit days. And um, it's like days where you just want to stop and say, you know what, get me a nice cushy, cushy job. And <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's, I think that classic, like bit of a bit of resilience, I suppose, that you've been there, done that in some form of your life um, goes a long way. Yeah. You, sort of, you, you build that sort of degree of, familiarity with like oh it's pretty dark right now but i know that i push through it gets brighter you talked about discipline was it the structure of the the daily routine or were there other things that like sort of helped build up that discipline in in yourself and the team yeah i think i think a few things like the structure like the good thing about elite sport whether it's ideally professional but outside of that like amateur and i played professionally in a few few teams overseas and again it's not lucrative it's not retirement money, but it's it is a professional format. You get paid to play, and you get a structure that is reasonable. Um, that definitely helps because you just have to turn up. You just turn up at the time you're supposed to turn up, and kind of things, you know, this everything's sort of set up for you. You still work hard, but it's all there. Um, and then outside of that, it was just setting setting that goal. I wanted to to go to Olympics and play, you know, a, a heap of games for Australia and um, play overseas. And and it's kind of like I know that I always had to work to do that. So, um, you know, with that in the back of my mind, whether it's a hard swim set or a gym session or, um, you know, team selections or whatever it may be. Yeah. Now, I've got to ask, like the Olympics, what was it like when you actually just turned up in Rio? Yeah, it's it's it was – it's a blur when I think about it actually. But so it was crazy, like from all accounts, and I've got friends who have been to n- numerous Olympics and – um, it was the most chaotic. Like there was, if you remember at the time, there was fears about the Zika virus, which mm. was, you know, a few viruses ago now. But um, <laughs> uh, there was big concerns about the Zika virus. And then there was like, there was issues with um, the, you know, the infrastructure and things like that. But once we got there, it was, it was, I mean, it just felt like another tournament at the time. Um, we're in the hotel, the the accommodation uh, you go to the pool. We're training every off day, so you are kind of in this little bubble. Um, I prefer watching an Olympics than than playing it because you get there more. You get the <laughs> the festival atmosphere exactly. So, um, but then we played Brazil um, first game, and that was just like a soccer crowd. It was because um, it was home home crowd. Brazil traditionally not great, but they basically um, went on a recruitment drive, and there were plenty of. Eastern European Brazilians playing for that Brazilian team. Um, so they were really strong. And um, and every time we had the ball, the whistles were so loud, you could not hear a guy one metre away talking to you. It was just crazy. 
No way. <laughs> About as much sensory overload as you can imagine. Well, it was. I remember the first time I, I jumped in in the game. Um, when I went underwater, it's like time stopped because obviously you can't hear anything. And then I popped up again and it was like you've just been punched in the face with the, a, um, like the noise. It was just crazy. Sheesh. So do you reckon the Brazil team were actually training with that noise? They knew what to expect or? No, this is the thing. So the crowd was dead silent when they had the ball. So it's like soccer ah, games, if you see, um, yeah. where the crowd whistles when the opposition had the ball the whole time. And then when they have the ball, it's dead silent. Oh, man, that's cold. <laughs> you guys must have been like, come on, guys, <laughs> give us a bone here. Yeah, it was. It was definitely unique, but um, but super cool. Yeah. Well, what was the biggest surprise, I guess, from being at the Olympics or being in the village or the whole thing? Like peeking behind the curtain, like, oh, man, this is totally different to what I imagined. It's a good question. I haven't really thought about it, like the biggest surprise. What is quite cool is you – you know, one time we were just sitting at, at the, the food hall and Andy Murray was two people away from me and everyone just becomes equalised for the most part. It's like these elite famous athletes, except a, a, a very minor number. So like Usain Bolt is has, swamp, has security guards and Michael Phelps didn't stay in the village. But outside of that, like I was playing ping pong with NBA players and it was, it was, it was quite cool. Everyone kind of equalised in there. Yeah, it must have been awesome. Who were some of yeah. the people that you, you got to meet that you never thought you would? Uh, Clay Thompson, um, US basketballer. So he's won a couple of comps with um, with Golden State. Um, uh, didn't met, like hang out with, hang out with, but like cruise with the tennis players, Australian basketball players. Um, uh, yeah, Nadal just walking by, getting a coffee type thing. It's, it's, it's um, <laughs> surreal. Yeah. Hang yeah, on. Isn't like, that the guy off TV? Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Simone Biles, um, the gymnast from the States who just cleaned up at that Olympics as well. She was like just, yeah, hanging out at the the, the common area. Yeah, it was, but I think, yeah, I don't know. It was, it, it was, everyone's kind of in the zone and just sort of chilling. So it's not like nobody's sort of fangirling or fanboying as, as much as you think. And I suppose you've all, you've all paid the same dues. Like you're all at the same place because you've all committed so much of your lives to get there. So it's almost like, you, you're all in. You're all in this together. And, like, for example, um, like water polo is not massive in Australia, but in Serbia it's huge. So Novak Djokovic is, like, a massive fan of the Serbian team. He goes to watch their games. So it's kind of quite nice to get, like, your little sport recognised by people who are in a much bigger sport. Yeah, totally. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Now, um, just going back a bit as well, what was, like, you? we talked touched on the, the training and, and like you, you mentioned how your dad sort of drove you to swimming and that was a huge commitment that you probably didn't realize at the time, like 4.30 in the morning. What was your upbringing like? Like what was, how were you brought up, I guess? And, and what have you transposed into the way that you're parenting Teddy? Yeah, so I was brought up by like two loving parents. Um, my parents separated though when I was like early teens and at the time it was like a massive or early, maybe 12, 13 and, like, at the time, it was a massive deal. Um, and I was like, oh, this is, you know, upsetting, embarrassing, you know, all of the above. Um, and then as I've gotten older, like, it's – and my parents never really fought in front of us too much. And, and in the end, they, they were were never a great match, but they get along, all, like, really, really well now and, um, and, and always got along more or less fine. But what, it, what I noticed 
now is like I, we try not to have any arguments in front of Teddy, even at this stage, because it was really impactful, the ones that I did see. And, and my partner, Sophie, her parents separated as well um, when she was younger. So just like at the time you see your parents not like loving each other and you, it really like it's really shattering. I remember thinking at the time and as an adult, I'm like, people can have disagreements. That's actually fine. It's not a big deal, but not necessarily having them in front of um the kids or Teddy at this stage um, is is one sort of quite big learning, yeah. um, which which I think now I'm older, it's contextualised. Oh, yeah, all good. But at the time, it, it was quite challenging. Yeah. Um, that's but and that's, now I was just going to say, that's massive because, yeah. you know, the it's almost like the, the sort of safety net of your parents, they're supposed to be the ones looking after you. They've got your backs mm. completely, uh, you know, mm. you're, they're your lifeline. And for them to be arguing completely throws that security out the window. Like that's gone. You know, cause yeah. I, I've been in that situation as well. And, and it's, yeah, uh, it's one of the things I took away as well. And, you know, there's a couple of times Sarah and I have had a bit of a disagreement and stuff, but it's like, oh man, this is, yeah, we've got to come back and we've got to show the kids that we're back together, you know, we're back on task together. You know, we've had a disagreement, we've worked it through and I'm much more conscious now of, of trying to, if you, if we disagree, just being completely mindful of, of, you know, honoring their, their, their reasons for disagreeing and, and coming to a, a solution in an amicable way and like working through a problem, not, not getting all the motive. And it's so hard, but I think it's one of the things that we can do to sort of, I guess, role model that for our kids once we figure it out for ourselves. But you're right. Like if we fly off the handle and have those massive barnies or whatever, it's going to massively impact them. Yeah, so that was like something that, and we, we both, my partner and I, and look, we're not immune to having arguments. That's for sure. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, um, you know, we bring out the best and worst in each other. I think that's why we keep, why, why we work. Um, but um, uh, yeah, that was just how we handle that. And as Teddy gets a little bit older as well, is going to be, um, is going to be crucial. And um, and other things. I mean, I, my parents were both were both really supportive. My mum probably like did hate like traditional dad worked a bit bit longer a bit later mum was super available and 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 very present um both do their best to get to sporting events and you know youth school events and things like that but i think even in that one generation the landscapes and expectations have changed um so like my dad was more present than his dad and i'm more present than him and you know so the story goes yeah, it's so important, isn't it? And and you're right, the, the environment's changed so much now that, especially with the expectation that both parents work, like it's really hard for even one parent to be at all the events. And and yeah. I sort of think back, I'm a bit nostalgic at the, of the old days, you know, where one of the parents was always at home. I kind of think that's, that's so awesome for kids to know that there's always someone there. And I, it's really hard to navigate that now. But, uh, you know, on the other hand as well, we're actually much more flexible in the way we work. And especially coming out of COVID, it's so refreshing to be able to go, you know what, I've got to go and see this thing at school. It's going to be awesome. And then I can hook back into work later on. So I think... I think there's a, it's a really interesting time, isn't it, to navigate? Yeah, it, it is. And, like, gone is the nine to five. Um, and, like, I don't actually know what the, the best model is. Like, is it – It's it feel like I feel like I'm constantly doing everything and I probably need to get better at switching <laughs> off. Yeah. Um, 
And I hope that we can build towards that. That's like my very short-term goal. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you're right. Like even like if the schedulers come home, help get tea, you know, bedtime, bath, bed, bath, or bath, bed, bath, feed, bath, bed, um, and then jump on, have this conversation. We're doing a little bit of work before that. Um, you know, I'll go home probably, i go home, go to bed, probably do a bit of reading, and then be up early again tomorrow. And so – so so the years roll on so it's it's how i you know i don't know what the best way is but you're it's it is like trying to be everywhere at once is a challenge at times too oh totally it it is and um i think uh, when you said that it reminds me of the i think it's the french president um i can't remember which one it was now but he he would stop work at 5 30 and go home every night and he's like don't call me unless unless we're going to war or something like that you do not bother me at home. And it's like, wow, how do we build those sort of boundaries around what we do? And I feel like maybe that's like the next step of having really hard stops on things and go, right, I'm in this this zone now. This doesn't encroach. And but it yeah. is it's such a juggle. Yeah, I think that is. And that's what I'm ho- I'm hoping as someone who's sort of always run, you know, small, small and hopefully growing businesses. Um I'm I've always been on 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 call and like thinking about it. And I think that's like going to be important for me as we hopefully grow. Yes, you can into a, into a, a global, um, you know, superpower, (laughs) um, is, is actually being able to say, Hey, this is my downtime that I'm spending with my family or myself or, you know, whatever that may be, rather than be like, Oh, I should just get this last email done. I'll just give them a quick call or whatever. And it, 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 it never ends. Yeah. And while you're talking about, you know, yes, you can be in a superpower, super tasty, by the way, the, uh, yeah. the, uh, the drinks arrived today yeah. and I'm loving it. I'm on a gin and tonic right now while I'm doing a podcast interview. How good's that? <laughs> exactly. Yep. Guilt-free. You're guilt-free G&T. Exactly. Well, tell us a bit about it. Yes, you can. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a weird, if you told me a year and a half ago that I'd be selling non-alcoholic drinks, I would, there's no way in the world I would have believed you. First of all, I did and, and still do drink alcohol. I'm not anti-alcohol by any means. Um, second of all, I knew nothing about food and beverage um, like or distribution or anything that that entails. Um, but it just so happened that Soph was pregnant um, at the time, so what, going back just over two years. I obviously played a bit of sports. So there was time, like it was on my conscious awareness to, you know, cut back alcohol from time to time. Um, and then we thought, hey, there's a bit of a movement here. Why don't we be part of it and actually help help you know lead it and help make help provide a non-alcoholic, non-beer option that's actually good that actually tastes like a real <laughs> yeah. drink that that um, that's not that that is like a positive uh, experience. And we wanted to make it a big, bright, bold can that was had some funny messaging and didn't take ourselves too seriously and. Yeah, we, we kind of launched with zero ideas, zero experience, and very much not zero mistakes. A lot more than zero mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, we've been around oh, coming up 10, 11 months or so, still still in that sort of launch phase really, um, but, but getting some really good traction and, and hoping to, to yeah, take over the world one can at a time. 
I, I love it. And I love the marketing sort of slant that you have on it, you know, taking the piss out of drinking. It just hits the spot. And, um, and you know, not to play it down, like you've just hired a, an operations manager. Was that this week? Yeah. So um, what was it? It was about well, last week. So um, had a, a few conversations and, um, yeah, so he's actually going to be leading pretty much the commercial direction of the business. He's um, super well-credentialed. Um, you know, not afraid to get his hands dirty and um, is, yeah, I, I think he'll be a super valuable asset to the team moving forward. I'm kind of just this crazy, like, have an idea, let's do it type, <laughs> like not not super methodical. Um, he is very methodical and lo- lives in, in the the treacherous world of spreadsheets. An FMV, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, that's going to balance me really well, I, I hope. That's great. And and it's it's so important to get that balance, isn't it? Because often you'll find like two founders or three founders are all the same type of personality and they've got the same skill sets and, and usually because they you know get along so well. And then they're, they're sadly lacking on one side and it's like a wonky chair. So um, to yes. have that balance is super important. But it, when you were saying that, Tyler, it made me think of George Lucas, you know, and, and I think in some respects, it's actually a superpower to be, you know, be totally... I guess, naive about how hard it's going to be. He wanted to hire people that didn't have a clue that yeah. the stuff was at the time thought to be impossible. He wanted people to be totally naive as to what was possible. And just, and, and it's kind of, it sounds like that was, that was you at the start of the year, not having any experience, but going, yep. hell, how hard going to be? Let's just do this. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of the, um, lot, like disruption in bever- in food and beverage comes from outside food and beverage often because, if we did things the way that everyone would did things, you know, no, there'd be no change. So, um, yeah, I think like there's been benefits of being naive in this space, hundred percent. And um, and I still am. And I'm also shameless in in just reaching out to people who I don't know and saying, hey, um, you know, so and so told me to reach out to you. Um, would love to sit down for a coffee and and see if you know get you some obligation free alcohol free drinks and see what comes of it. <laughs> <laughs> love it hey i'm not averse to that myself tyler <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly no, it's so good I, I i just love the messaging because uh, you have a marketing background don't you yeah so i did did marketing at uni um i mean marketing when i went to uni which is only you know eight to ten years ago it's the landscapes changed wildly and actually we need to hire someone who understands the the wonderful and crazy world of, of social TikTok, media social media um <laughs> at some point and I feel like a dinosaur even even you know at my age but um uh yeah so I did marketing and I but I've always had a bit of an appreciation for I think in another world I would have been advertising in like copywriting and creative yeah um are you thinking mad so men I, era yeah like I you know mad men was <laughs> was is a the classic um but um yeah so I've always been I've always gravitated towards copy creativity and like just I guess being a little bit cheeky so um, I think that comes through in the brand um, and, yeah, we're looking to continue to build that and just be a brand that people, like, resonate with or have a laugh with um, and, and as a result, make non-alcohol as no, alcohol-free as a category um, destigmatized or, at, at best, maybe cool. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's so important because, I, you know, there's been a few forays into this back, you know, even like 20 years ago, like the caliber back in the UK and stuff. And it's mm. come such a long way since then, but it still does carry quite a stigma. And I love the way yours is, 
yours is playful and it's like yeah you can just turn up and the whole messaging yes you can you know of yeah. course you can do this but I, I really like that idea that you're not saying hey alcohol's bad you know you got to shut it down it's so bad for you it's not like that sort of veganism yeah. versus you know eating meat sort of polarizing conversation it's like hey no i've got to get up early for a, a work trip tomorrow so i just gotta have a clear head but i still like drinking so i'm gonna you know tuck into this gin and tonic and i'm gonna have a few of them yeah, exactly. And that's the whole point. It's like, you know, insert yes, you can as your statement of intent to whatever the occasion is. Um, you know, uh, take drive your kids to, to early morning swimming class. Yes, you can. Um, enjoy a few guilt-free J&Ts with your friends. At the, yes, you can. You know, trick your, your drunk mate on a night out. Yes, you can. <laughs> like it's literally, or, or even just have a few drinks between drinks to slow down you know, the inevitable stumble home. Yes, you can. So like it's literally can become your your partner in crime for whatever you're drinking in social occasion. Yeah. Now, I mean, I, I'm into the, the gin tonic. That was my first pick because I love gin and tonic. And I'm loving this because it's got a real sort of, I mean, like you, you said, it's like compared to a, a dry gin, but I can't wait to try yeah. the dark and stormy as well. What's, what's your favorite? I actually like the dark and stormy. Um, that's my, my favorite. I'm, I'm very partial to a ginger, ginger based drink. Um, and that's like a smoky ginger dash of lime. Um, and I'm also very partial to our new one. That's just our dog snoring at my feet. Um, <laughs> uh, we've just released a new called range drink, which is like doing like really well so far. And I'm sure it will be a hit over summer, a yuzu sake, um, which is just super refreshing and light, oh, light man. and tart. That is I think I sent some down to you. I think I sent a bit of everything. I yeah. hope. Yeah, if yeah, I yeah. Didn't, I have to send them down. No, because um, the so kids, my- it was on the table, and like when I came in, and my my daughter, she was like, "Oh, what's this?" And I went, "No, no, no they're my drinks." Um, <laughs> and she was, "But it says alcohol free. That means I can have it." I'm like, "Oh, damn it! I'm going to get around this. Yeah, they're still yeah. my drinks." So you can't. Exactly. So, so whilst it's actually really good, it, it's. <laughs> I need to figure out. No, no, these are actually my drinks. I'll probably yeah, have to. Lock- <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so my usual argument: No, you can't drink that because it's it's got alcohol in it. It doesn't wax. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. So I'm going to get in get into this one now. I can't wait. This is one I was looking forward to. Oh, that's good. So yeah, that one's. So all of our drinks have um what we've 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 called it our flashback. It's basically a botanical. It's taking the piss out of the drunken flashback. <laughs> yeah. And what it, and what it is, it's our proprietary blend of botanicals that actually give you a little bit of a warmth sensation, like a real real alcoholic sort of kick to it. So it's not just your soft yeah. drink territory. Yeah. Well, because um, I mean. Stout was my big thing in the UK. Like that yeah. was my go-to for everything. Yeah. You know, I'd drink it even during the summer. But yeah, and that's yeah, that's that's awesome. <laughs> okay, I'm in. I'm all in. Yeah, so that's that's just my like. I probably get through one or two of them every night, and it's almost become a bit of a ritual for me. And it, it it's kind of a pl- not that I was ever a big big like wine drinker, but you know how people have their sort of wine as a ritual. Yeah, um, it's yeah, I, it's, it's that that bookend to the day. Yeah, so that's that. Our drinks have become that for me, um, which is nice because I get the same effect of like the same placebo effect or the the mature drinking experience effect, and it kind of just caps the day. So um, yeah, they've we, that's that's how I consume, and you know I also consume them as a mixer from time to time when I'm having a few dr- 
you know, alcoholic drinks. So they really play the purpose in my life that they were designed to play. Yeah. Nice. Well, I think, you know, you couldn't have timed it better because there's so much need for this right now. And so many people are saying, oh yeah, I'm just going to take a couple of months off. And mm. and it's it's still that zero sum, like it's one or the other. Whereas I, I like this hybrid model. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And And that's what we say. We're here for your day off, your night off, your month off, or even just your drink off. Um, so, you know, it's literally, you know, choose your, choose your own destiny <laughs> with the drinks. Yeah. And I noticed it's the family business as well. You got Teddy stuck in the shelves. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I'd play, I thought I'd just, um, yeah, post what I thought was a, a, a bit of a piss takey, um, LinkedIn post and getting Teddy, Teddy working hard. Um, that'll pay for his future one day, hopefully. <laughs> I'm sure it will pay very lucratively for, for him. <laughs> no, it, it's excellent, Tyler. So uh, thanks for bringing this into the world. I think it's uh, it's going to save some people some serious headaches and uh, put put people on a, a healthier path as well. Now, um, there was one other question I wanted to ask you because we did touch on this when we had a chat on the phone as well. I did want to ask you about you know, you dived headlong fully into starting this business and starting a family during COVID. Mm. You know, it's it's a lot to do. But how do you actually manage the division of labor between your partner and yourself? Because you both work in the business and you're both family members. How do you actually do that? Yeah, so that's, again, it's been like not without its, you know, constant challenges as well. So um, I've probably gravitated toward doing more in the business and so probably gravitated to doing more with Teddy. Um, Soph's also back studying, so she's studying psychology. She did a sort of corporate corporate gig, you know, worked her way up, worked at Google and, and, and you know, had a really promising corp- like career in that space if she wanted to but thinks her calling is actually in helping people and um, is pursuing psychology. So, um, yeah, she's, you know, full, full steam ahead with that, being a full-time mum and helping in the business as well. So um, she wears more hats than I. I wear less hats, but probably more into the business and 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 obviously not studying. Um, so and and yeah, we've kind of got tasks and jobs that we do, but um, it's like I would say, Soph does the lion's share of the admin admin when it comes to Teddy and um, is all over that. And I I. I try and do my consistent things, get him up every morning, get him down every night for the most part or come back for that that um, There's routines. And, yeah, the routine and then try and spend all day Saturday with him to give Sophie a day for herself. Yeah. Um, and, again, that's not every weekend. Sometimes there's expos, sometimes there's this, and we, we just try and stick to that. Yeah. Um, and and then, like, for example, Sophie's been in a busy period with study, so I try to take him for two days last weekend and it's – it's yet yeah, again not without its its constant challenges, but we try and and help the other person out as, as best we can. Yeah. Um, and then when we can't, we just try and get some support. Or mum comes over, and we we just try and figure it out as we go. But <laughs> do you, I don't think there's an exact science. I was going to say, do you, do you find it's a bit like wrestling? We're like, tag me, tag me, tag me in, tag yeah, me in. Yeah. Yeah, it was probably more like tag me out, tag me out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I'm down and out. <laughs> yeah, he's um he's at such a great age now, at like approaching two, but it's also, um you know, he's not a baby that you just plonk and, and let him sit sit yeah. and do nothing. Now it's like entertain me, run around, and it's the best age by far till now. But um, it's also the most exhausting. Yeah, and 
so I've got two two questions to go because I really wanted to ask you about swimming as well because you've done a lot yeah. of swimming and you said uh, you wanted to get Teddy started early. Like how early is, you know, how early are you thinking to get serious into swimming and how late do you reckon you can be getting into swimming to sort of pick up that like, natural technique and so on? Yeah, it's a good question. So he's been in the water since about four months or three months, like just splashing. Well, just play, you know, just play. And but we go to weekly, um, like learned. Well, it's not really learned to swim. I don't know really know what you'd call it. Um, but we go to weekly swimming now, um, and he's slowly getting his arms moving and things like that. So we'll just continue that, um, and then just what to so he gets to a competent level, which could be a couple of years away, um, and then let him decide what he wants to do. But I think like we touched on when we spoke earlier, um, like in Australia, we'd love to continue living near the near the beach and have the, the water as a pivotal part of our life moving forward. And it's just such a good life skill to have. And if he wants to take it far, then that's that's awesome. But if he can, you know, learn like I'm now lucky that I don't I've never felt uncomfortable in any water at sea, big surf, everything like that. If he can get to that level, then I think, you know, you're pretty safe moving forward. That's a win. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and there's so much like in the way of surf, life-saving clubs and stuff as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, Sydney's full of them. It's great. Now, um, yeah. obviously, you know, what are some of the things that you've learned in round one of parenting that you think you'd like to apply if and when you go for round two? Yeah, so funnily enough, we are, and it was, it's public. Well, oh, is that? <laughs> yeah, so funnily enough, we are we do have round two on the way. Ah, oh, congrats! Which is, which is exciting, and like also I haven't thought about it because I'm like I can't do that <laughs> right now. Um, because so I, I yeah I'm just thinking about your question. Um, what would I do? What would I change and iterate on? Oh, it's it's or, a, or it's what has worked really well that you're like yeah totally doing that again. I think we were reasonably selfless in sticking to teddy's routine at the start yeah just a hard so, line yeah we have to stick to the bedtime yeah, starts yeah. at six or whatever yeah like that was something that we got and look every parent's different everyone has different ways of doing it and i i you know there's no right or wrong way but for us the right way was making sure that we had reasonably um routine bedtimes and you know even at our own detriment but now he's an amazing sleeper has been for like since he was seven months and like we've reaped the rewards of that. So I think we definitely do that again. What we wouldn't do is buy everything new. Yeah. We got overexcited. We bought everything new. Um, but like, <laughs> you know, I remember changing really nice new oh, the onesies. That are new. Like, oh, pra- oh <sighs> prams. They don't miss you. There's car seats. There's even like outfits, like the best outfits, the $10 Bond zip up ones. Because in the middle of the yeah. night when you're stumbling in there, <laughs> I don't want to be messing around with buttons. So yeah. Like heaps of those little, just um, like uh, easy, rational, like um, uh, like little wins like that. Um, and I think yeah, the routine thing as well. And um, I mean, there's probably plenty of more learnings. But to be honest, I'm like super excited for the for this number two. But I also probably haven't thought about it as much as <laughs> as I will when we get closer because I'm like, oh, at the moment, just a little little thing it's, growing it's down the track. We can think about that yeah. later. Exactly. Um, otherwise, I'll just, yeah, like it'll be another thing to think about. But um, maybe we can check in in about five months' time before he's, he's 
he's popping his head out and um, <laughs> we can um, we can see if I've had any more learnings. See, see whether you sort of honed your game plan. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And and like, yeah, that point about the super suits, is it the wonder suits or whatever that Bonds did? They were, they were, yeah, so, yeah. They were amazing. It took us a while to hook into those. And I was like, let's not buy anything other than these because these things work so well. We just don't want anything else. So that was ace. And I found with prams, like we went through about five different prams. It was ridiculous. I had no idea. We're trying all these different like concoctions, especially when we had two, we needed a duo. And and the best one we ever got was from an op shop for $30. And it was a mountain buggy. And we were like, this is, how can we spend so much money on the others? And they were no good. And this one is next level. So it is, it's about trying so many different ones to figure out what works for you. Yeah, exactly. And not always the most expensive is the best. Is, yeah. Uh, is the, yeah. Well, exactly. the mountain buggy, buggy, you can actually just change all the bearings and wheels and everything. Like we burnt through so many new tires because we just take it for miles jogging and stuff like that. And it was yeah. uh, so good. But um, anyway, now, Tyler, this has been fantastic. I love what you're doing with Yes, You Can Drinks, taking the piss out of drinking. So good. I know you've got a family to get back to, so thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. And uh, yeah, let's stay in touch because uh, you know what you're doing is magic. Oh, thanks so much! Yeah, awesome to just to, to chat to another dad and um, and and share any successes and well, parenting successes or tips, but also like you know, honesty around. Hey, there's like daily struggles for everyone in 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 balancing you know the personal expectations of fatherhood and just life life happening so um yeah it's 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 definitely a balancing act it is it's a wild ride but man it's fun yeah exactly well i hope you enjoyed this discussion with tyler what a legend if you'd like to get in touch with him or purchase some very tasty alcohol alternatives i'll put all the links into the show notes at thedadmindset.com anyway that's all from me for now appreciate the shares love the reviews I hope you have a great week and as ever, enjoy your caffeinated beverage.